Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. And this is News Data reporter Dan Catchpole, and today we have part two of my conversation with Grinch Strategies founder Rob Gramlich. Rob is one of the leading experts on transmission and, more importantly, the challenges facing our transmission network in the country. Rob and I get into the ins and outs of what needs to be done in the West. If you want to check out part one of the conversation, just look back in the Energy West feed. I highly recommend going and listening to it. Like I said, Rob is one of the foremost experts. He's always insightful and gets to the heart of these issues. The West certainly seems to be moving ultimately towards a regional transmission organization or some kind of organized market. So what are the kind of like guiding best principles, lessons we've learned from other places that the West should be keeping in mind as it uh, explores markets and it's designing day ahead or transmission markets? Sure. Well, uh, it's exciting to see the developments. I'll say that first. Um, I think there's a lot of benefit for everybody around the West to be part of uh, regional spot energy markets. Uh, the challenge, of course, then becomes, uh, you know, which uh, which platform and uh, and how do you design them? <clears throat> the energy imbalance market has provided a lot of a lot of benefits and improving that with a day ahead market seems seems like a no brainer. Um, that is, of course, now before FERC, <clears throat> there are some there are some design uh, challenges that parties weren't, uh, you know, fully, um, you know, had fully worked through. So there's a little bit for FERC to uh, address there. Um, and then, of course, SPP has its Markets Plus proposal that has been accelerated in, in recent months, and they're doing a lot of work with a lot of stakeholders. Um, I think, uh, you know, eventually, uh, if there is going to be more than one market, there will need to be seams uh, agreements. Um, but I think that can probably wait uh, until, you know, we figure out what, what exactly the seams are, which, you know, which utilities, which borders are we, are we talking about? That's the experience we had when we set up the uh, MISO and SPP and PJM markets. Uh, I, I certainly, I, I was at FERC at the time when uh, ComEd, the Chicago utility joined PJM and that kind of put us in a completely different regime about, uh, you know, non-contiguous uh, and very mm -hmm. oddly configured, uh, you know, utilities joining RTOs and ISOs. And that's, that's certainly possible. Um, and, uh, you know, people say, well, there's multiple ISOs and RTOs in the East. We could have multiple in the West. And, uh, you know, that's that's true. But it's also here we are in 2023. And I remember sitting through extensive meetings in 2003 trying to work out seams agreements. And there are still seams agreements. I mean, the market monitors for both MISO and PJM every year are saying you've got to improve the seams coordination uh, and the operations at the borders. Uh, and yet, again, 20 years later, it hasn't been solved. So it, it is, I mean, seems, seems are, are, seems are hard. Yeah. I, I've asked uh, a lot of the people I talked to, sources and, and others I've interviewed, uh, in who deal with transmission, um, if they think 
the adding multiple markets in the West, you know, to what degree will the seams just kind of counteract or, or nullify any benefit that we get from more efficient use of transmission? I have to say the their answers have been a little uh, disheartening. I was hoping to hear, oh, it's not a big deal. The benefits will outweigh the, the negatives by far. I'm hearing pretty ambivalent responses that like they there's some it sounds like some at least are concerned that the yeah the seams might basically uh mitigate or just like kind of null out to zero uh the benefits from markets i mean so yeah i mean at this point um i mean is that is that real like is that are people do you think i'm some people are maybe being over overly concerned or is it potentially that serious yeah i'll just say i'll put it this way configuration matters like if you have two neighboring utilities that are, that have a lot of power flow going back and forth on a day-to-day basis and or a lot of loop flow you know unscheduled flow between them uh that that really matters from a reliability and efficiency standpoint now um you know, the flip side of that is, you know, it's also true that not every, you know, utility is as integrated with uh, everybody else and, you know, could go different directions. Or if, you know, one pocket of the grid goes with one operator and another you know, pocket goes with another. So I'm not saying it has to be a single RTO. I'm just saying from our experience in the East, and, you know, I was deep into this at FERC in the, at the time, working for the chairman when MISO SPP, and there was this alliance RTO thing that uh, we actually rejected uh, at FERC um, because it was essentially going to be a toll gate uh, between the Midwest mm-hmm. and the Mid-Atlantic. We, we rejected that. Um, and, you know, we were kind of stretching the limits of FERC's power at the time to get a rational configuration. Um, and unfortunately, we kind of discovered that we really did have limited power at FERC to get a rational configuration. And so now the, you know, the assumption from all the parties is, well, FERC isn't going to ensure a rational configuration. So I just really urge parties in the West, state regulators and utilities and others, like, you, you know, FERC's not going to, you know, stop you from doing a really unreliable an inefficient configuration. You can you can do it. You can get away with it, but you're you're asking for trouble. All right. <laughs> I was hoping you had some more positive ending, but you're <laughs> like you're just you're asking for trouble. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's a great way to end. <laughs> that's it, folks. That's the show. Um, the, before I let you go, there's one last thing I wanted to ask uh, about non-wire solutions technological developments you know we've got long duration batteries seemingly on the cusp small modular reactors the energy grid is rapidly evolving are there and i'm i'm afraid i know how you're going to answer this are there any technological unicorns out there that are just going to get us out of this problem i think there's a very exciting suite of technologies that can make a big difference on the on the bulk power system um there's a a set called collectively called grid enhancing technologies that are able to squeeze more power out of the existing wires, uh, dynamic line ratings, topology optimization, power flow control. Um, and, you know, just like most things in our industry, kind of the, the new kids on the block don't get, uh, don't get a lot of love from the incumbents. And so they need a little push. 
uh, and support to kind of get integrated. And there's sometimes legitimate, you know, training and uh, utility conservatism, which is, you know, in part justified because we need a reliable system, um, you know, that that uh, just lengthens, it just delays the integration. And so, but those can be really helpful and, and utilities in uh, other countries and continents are doing them a lot more than here. So they, they've been proven. It's not, you know, we're well beyond the pilot stage. So that's one yeah. bucket. And then the other bucket is kind of different kinds of conductors, high performance conductors, um, uh, com- you know, got c- composite core carbon fiber core conductors that can really deliver more over existing rights of way. And they're, those are particularly useful because, you know, in the relative near term without getting new rights away or even new towers, we can just string out new cables and get a lot more juice. Uh, that helps in a lot of situations like getting power into urban areas uh, where you might be closing the, you know, the local dirty plants and replacing with cleaner remote plants. So that's really also exciting in the longer term, you know, well, superconductors, I think I'm optimistic. So, uh, you know, there's some short term uh, opportunity and same with long duration storage. I think there's some kind of near term ready to go technologies that are ready for some wider deployment, but a lot of research being done on alternative longer duration storage technologies. So those might be coming in five or 10 years. So I think we need to just keep, you know, when they're ready to go, get them, get them on the system and, you know. Yeah. And with the high performance conductors, uh, what is the, the yeah efficiency or the capacity boost that we can get? Like, what's the range? What are you talking about when you're saying more juice over the lines? Yeah. You can, you can often double the, double the delivery for the same uh-huh. voltage. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, just my, uh, you know, non-engineering mind thinks of it as, um, you, you know, metal. The, the When you have steel for the reinforcement, that gets hot and the lines sag and then they get too close to vegetation, can start fires and, and damage the uh, damage the steel. So if you have, uh, you know, carbon fiber in there instead, it doesn't sag. Mm-hmm. So you can deliver the, you know, the, the conductor part of the cable can still get really hot, but the structural part um, doesn't uh, doesn't sag. So that that's why you can deliver more power. Yeah. All right. And superconductors. What's the realistic? What's your realistic assessment? If you had to put money on it, when when are we looking at that? Do you think I, for being viable? Yeah, I think we'll see some bulk power applications in sort of more pilot stage in four or five years. Uh, oh, that's it. Okay you know, then it would take, you know, longer to get into sort of wide, yeah. large scale deployment. And then the first one, grid enhancing technology, I have to admit, that's something that I'm not super familiar with. Can you go over some of those examples of what that entails again? Yeah. So one that is pretty intuitive is dynamic line ratings, because uh, a, a given, let's say, 100 megawatt line uh, actually can deliver 130 or 140 megawatts at certain times of day and times of mm-hmm. year. Like if the if it's really cold or the wind is blowing and that's a, a, you know, a line that's limited by how hot the line gets thermal limitation. Um, then, well, at those times, why don't we deliver 130 or 140 instead mm-hmm. of hundred? That's, that would be a lot more efficient. Also it turns out that is suddenly extremely uh, valuable because we have a lot of places with a lot of wind energy on the system. It turns out the same wind that is turning the turbines is cooling the line down. So there's this, you know, uh, synchronicity there uh, where you can, 
you know, deliver more at the time you could, you know, deliver more when, when you have more renewable power to deliver. So that's a, a really nice one. And uh, it really doesn't take a lot. I mean, to monitor the system and just set the new rating. So dynamic line rating, change the rating over time. So that's one. Uh, power flow control. Um, it's also relatively simple to understand. You're just rerouting the power, sending it over one path versus another path. Um, so, you know, power flows over path of least resistance. You can change the resistance, send the power over another path that might be less congested. So that's a, another one. Um, and then uh, topology optimization is a software that came out of ARPA-E, some research during the Obama years. Um, and it's it's kind of like, more like the ways it's not physically doing anything it's just software that's finding a different configuration and then the grid operator can open or close circuits accordingly to uh deliver you know but to use that implement that new configuration and then deliver more and the software has found that that would be more efficient so that's a you know something that you know miso now has a process to um implement that which is great it'd be great to see other operators um, implement such a process to uh, to use that one that's what, that's uh, again topology optimization topology meaning like the configuration of the grid All right and so those three uh technologies you said these are proven they they're deployed in other countries realistically uh how likely are they to be deployed here given our you know the our structure for uh, getting regulatory approval and cost recovery, et cetera. Sure. Well, I think so. Your your listeners need to go knock on the door of your utility or see them at a you know regional meeting and say, "Hey, are you deploying you know these technologies? Why or why not?" I think you know state regulators. I think need to do that. Consumers need to do that. Um, I think that's you know that that kind of thing is needed and, and useful, and FERC is doing a lot of that, and they're adding some carrots and sticks here um, to incent or you know sometimes require in certain situations uh, these technologies, or in the planning context require transmitting utilities to consider these technologies. So I think that's all helpful. Sometimes the utility incentives are are not. Uh, helpful for these technologies because they're so cheap. Like the utilities don't necessarily get to add much capital to the rate base by deploying a $20 million piece of equipment. That's kind of peanuts from utility senior management perspective. Um, but hopefully all these utilities want to, you know, maximize their performance. They want, you know, their states and consumers to look at them as trying to do everything they can to make the their system more efficient and reliable. And, you know, sometimes they're going to need to build new expensive lines on new rights of way, and, and that will be hard. But, you know, consumers need to know that everything possible is being squeezed out of the existing system first. Yeah, it, it is funny to think that uh, in it's there's a disincentive from I mean, any other business. You would think, oh, well, here's a option you can invest in get more out of your existing infrastructure rather than having to build this new expensive thing and uh the incentives in the utility industry though are so kind of perverse in some ways that uh it's the exact opposite yeah incentives matter uh and yeah this industry is very unique (laughs) for better and for worse 
Well, Rob, thank you again very much for joining us. This has been fascinating and enlightening. Um, I, I know my listeners will think uh, the same. So uh, look forward to talking to you again. And uh, is any last thoughts? I'll, I'll let you, if you've got anything. No, uh, you know, thanks, Dan. Great questions. Good discussion. Anybody who wants, you know, so, uh, some of the reports we've uh, produced, uh, we have a lot of thoughts on these issues. And so the grid strategies, LLC.com website has all of those, or you can reach us there if you want to reach out. Rob, thank you very much again. Uh, and certainly, yes, go check out the reports. Uh, I use them extensively in my reporting. I think they're super insightful and always helpful. Uh, so thank you again. And folks, as always, uh, please rate and review Energy West wherever you listen to it or pass it along to a friend. Uh, Energy West is produced in, uh, by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studios. My name is Dan Catchpole, and we've been here with Rob Gramlich. Thanks for joining us.